Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Well, hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. It's David Bonson, a managing partner and chief investment officer here at the Bonson Group. And if my voice sounds a little scratchy, I'd love to say that I sound worse than I feel, but I actually feel about as bad as I sound too. So the show must go on, as they say. It's been way too crazy of a week in the markets for me to worry about a little sinus infection or head cold or whatever this is. But um, I'm plugging away, and obviously it, uh, the, the, the first quarter has come to an end, and that kind of warrants a special treatment here in the podcast. So we don't have a guest today, which actually is bad timing for me to have to do all the talking, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, and I, I want to share a few insights on what quarter one represented and and what our kind of key takeaways are and where it leaves things uh, for an investor the remainder of the year. I mean, overall, in the first quarter, it really was a tale of two cities. It wasn't just a good market in January. It was a full-blown melt-up in the market. And it wasn't just a bad market in February and March, but a, but a total reversal of all those fortunes. And so you started off the year with over about, let's just call it rounding, about a 5% move higher in January, depending on if you're talking about the Dow or the S&P. And yet both indexes move, uh, ended the quarter with a negative return. And so you you ended up being down about 2% in the Dow uh, year to date by the end of the first quarter, and you ended up being down close to 1% in the S&P. And again, that's despite the pretty um, huge January. So that's how significant volatility was in in February and March. You, you the most amazing statistic I think I could share with people about the first quarter of 2018 is that in the first quarter alone, there were no less than 23 days in which the market moved up or down from open to close more than one percent. For all of 2017, there were only eight such days. So you had essentially triple the volatility, meaning up or down day count, in one quarter that we had in all of last year. Do I think that means we're going to end up with 12 times the amount of days in in 2018 that we did in 2017? Actually, I probably do. And considering the fact that April has now started off with... uh, four consecutive days, um, you, you know, the, the beat goes on. But that is nothing unexpected. Um, we're definitely at higher than normal volatility now, but we'll be considering how long and how low that volatility had been uh, previously, how long the low volatility had persisted previously, the, the kind of violence of this increased volatility shouldn't be unexpected. But the fact of the matter is, is that for um, a long time, the leadership group in the market, even though the overall market was continuing to grow, a significant amount of the market's gain was coming from just one particular sector, and not even a whole sector, but a few companies within the sector. And that was the kind of new tech, cool tech, big tech space, uh, FANG, but even a few other names on the periphery of FANG. So, yes, you had your Facebooks, Amazons, Netflix, and Googles in there, but NVIDIA, you know, there, there became a couple kind of peripheral names that were relevant to the story. 
And and much of that uh, has totally, completely sold off as we have advanced through the quarter. Well, the thing that hasn't happened yet is something that we actually do expect will happen. And that is that there will be a transition in the leadership of those names to a different aspect of the market. We think that money that's being sold off um, is going to park somewhere less speculative, less high valuation, less momentum dependent. And that's where this long, long, long awaited transition from growth to value we think becomes very likely. Now, when you break down the first quarter in the market, um, you still ended up with a positive return in the NASDAQ, even though March was sort of a bloodbath. But let's look in, into the different sectors. If you look at telecom, considered largely a value sector, it was the worst performer. It's down 7.5% so far. If you look at the consumer staples, again, very much a value-oriented sector, down 7%. Energy, which started off January um, a blazing, down 6%. Materials, Real estate down 5%, utilities down 3%. So you essentially had a significant amount of value-oriented sectors, in some cases dividend-oriented, although the dividend stuff tended to do a lot better, but you really had those areas leading the market down. Well, even despite the bloodbath and fang near the end of the quarter, Technology was still the leading sector, but this is the thing that's most fascinating. Two of our largest holdings, two of the companies that best represent what we call the old tech sector, Cisco and Intel are examples here, but my point being, yes, even though technology was the leading performing sector, the leadership in technology was not new tech, but old tech. It was not cool tech, but it was value tech, dividend tech, balance sheet tech these names that just had significant stability and defensiveness around a mature business model and free cash flow and and heavy dividend yields that come out of that. Not big, hot growers, not names that are going to double this year, but providing really great results. And in fact, Cisco and Intel, by the way, happened to be the only two stocks in the Dow that were up in the first quarter. So um, financials, healthcare, both were down, but modestly just down right around the 1% or so the market was. And, and, and so you have kind of a couple of things after we separate it out. <clears throat> I really believe that the way I've already set this up is somewhat fallacious, meaning trying to look at it in the context of sectors instead of individual companies. You know, within the financials, there's very different things around interest rates driving the banks than there are around asset growth driving the asset managers. There's very different uh, elements in the healthcare space driving the insurers than there are driving the drug companies. And even within the drug companies, different factors. So we really think it's an incredible time to be bottom-up investors, and and frankly, that that's exactly what we do. Now, there are still some names that you could argue are, are surprisingly struggling. I, I don't think many people would have expected that Walmart and Exxon would be down 9% in the first quarter of 2018. Um, likewise, I don't think a lot of people after Boeing's 100% move higher in the year prior expected it to advance double digits again, although it's come off quite a bit with this China tariff concern, but the reality is Boeing's still up double digits on the year. 
So when we separate out the noise of the short-term factors and look to the, the more fundamental aspects that drive company selection, I think it is an overwhelmingly positive environment for well-run companies. Um, you would think that always be the case, but it isn't. Sometimes the trendiness of a product, the hipness of a sector, the momentum behind it is going to drive things. It's when you get into questions about interest rates, questions about trade war, um, earnings growth that you know has already moved quite substantially over four or five quarters and then has to look to margin expansion to get a sixth or seventh quarter out of it. Managing a company's capital structure when the, the debt environment is changing. These are things that require sophisticated management. It's something that we believe in. Sometimes for a season, it looks like the competence of the C-suite doesn't matter in corporate America. It isn't true. It isn't true. It's when companies are tested that the competence and character and maturity and experience, shareholder alignment of the C-suite becomes very, very important. So we're uh, aggressively looking at those considerations company by company that we own and continuing to test our expectations about free cash flow and the dividend yield that we want to get out of that free cash flow from the companies that we own. And we think that that's what investors ought to be focused on. When it comes to one's bond portfolio, the reality is is that uh, the bond market, you would think, for how interest rates moved early in the quarter through the mid part of the quarter, would have had a brutal go of it, but that proved not to be the case. A lot of fixed income strategies are up on the year. Uh, emerging market bonds, securitized credit, um, very short duration, commercial paper, uh, floating rate, all have a positive return on the year. So, the, the need for a bond allocation, but probably a de-risked one, you know, we're, we're largely, not entirely, but largely exited from the high-yield bond asset class. High-yield had a very interesting and volatile quarter. Well, we're going to have volatility now in our equities, and we know that. And we accept it, and we want it, but we're not interested in having to add to our overall portfolio volatility. Uh, you know, being down 1% in the quarter, almost 1%. In the high yield asset class is unnecessary when we're taking on the equity risk that we're taking. We are underweight equities relative to a totally balanced position, very modestly. We like our balance right now. We we don't mind being accused of hugging, you know, a little more conservative aspect. The the um the Trump administration's kind of created some of that. On one hand, the deregulation and corporate tax reform in 2017 and the strongly pro-business personnel they put in their cabinet and administration justifiably created a really significant um, environment for the um, uh, stock market, for the economy, and for that aspect of aligning our risk asset positioning. But this posturing, negotiating, flirting, poking, toying with tariffs and trade war and this and that and the other is frightening. Now, do I really believe that all substantive aspects of it are going to come through? I don't. It is possible. It's a risk that exists out there. But even if it doesn't, the reality is, is that we've created an environment now 
where you have to price in the volatility expectation of that uncertainty, the uncertainty around trade and tariff policy. We don't like it, but it, it is what it is. We have to deal with it. So that explains why we are a few percentage points lower in equity allocations than we otherwise would be. Our bond portfolios are quite uh, boring. And then we have um, a pretty hefty alternative allocation, which frankly has done quite well. I'm not allowed to talk about specific hedge funds and strategies that we own in this podcast. These are largely um, only available for accredited registered investors. So you have to reach out to me directly to talk about it. We can't do a mass sort of conversation about it. But the space of alternative investing I can talk about, and that is this idea. I did a whole podcast about it recently. Finding things non-correlated to stocks and bonds to help neuter some of our volatility and add some return. And we're very pleased with the results in this asset class for our client portfolios over the last quarter and its effectiveness in doing just that and lowering overall volatility and, and contributing to return by replacing broad stock market risk and broad bond market risk with individual manager, individual strategy, individual selection risk. That selection is what our clients pay us to do, and we have a lot of confidence in our process around it. And just from a tactical and macro standpoint, we really do recommend an overweight in alternatives. So going forward in the second quarter, the biggest things we have our eyes on are, and you'll notice the Fed is not in this top two, although it would be in my top three, but number one is earnings season. Will company earnings coming out of this first full quarter from tax reform Meet expectations. If they do, will that disappoint markets that it only meets or will it please markets? Will results exceed expectations? In which case you could get even more of a premium move up in markets. Will there be disappointment? By the way, our forecast here is yes. All the above. Meaning there will be some companies that their results dramatically outperform expectations on tax reform, some that underwhelm. Of course, that's always the case. I'm not saying anything profound, but again, I think that theme of dispersion, you're going to have some big beats and big underwhelming results, creating a, a large delta in magnitude of successes and failures that take place. So we think it's going to be a very interesting stock pickers market here in Q2. And, and uh, potentially could help offset some of the fear that exists and, and has resulted in a compression of valuation in the macro stock market. The second thing is definitely that underlying issue on protectionism, tariffs, potential trade war. Intriguing development here in the first week of April. China retaliating in a big way. Market dropping 700 points two days after it had already dropped 700 points. And then uh, the president's new National Economic Council director, Larry Kudlow, coming out to say, no, 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 this is just our first you know, offer. We're negotiating, we're, we're posturing, and we're going back and forth, and we'll, we, we think everyone's going to be very happy at the end of it. Markets kind of reading between that to say, okay, we're not, we're not really actually doing this. We're threatening, we're playing games. Market rebounded entirely and, in fact, closed the day up over 200 points. So... Yeah, I do. I do believe that um, the trade and tariff issue will continue to work. Will continue to create some of these big down days and then rebound days after that, and will keep volatility elevated for the near future. 
But ultimately, as long as my thesis that most of it is about face saving and cosmetic posturing for the Trump administration and not the belief that we can actually improve the economic lot of industrial belt Americans by raising taxes on what those consumers buy, um, as long as we don't actually really create policy that says we believe that, in case you can't tell, I do not believe it, then um, I believe the market will be able to get through this and the underlying strength of the economy um, that the very real possibility of 3% plus real GDP growth of significant increase in capital expenditures and business investment, that these things will drive markets higher. But they have to fight against the force of this protectionist uh, mood until they don't. And then the third thing um, is, of course, the ongoing questions around monetary policy. We don't expect the Fed to raise rates this quarter. We have a pretty clear expectation of their goal to do three this year. And, and potentially one into December as well. You could get a fourth rate hike. We don't think it's very significant. Uh, we think that they're largely telegraphing their feeling on it. And that feeling is slow but steady normalization. Least disruptive to markets. <clears throat> and uh, could that change? It could. We don't think it will. So... I guess I kind of got to stop now because it's really hard to get through this. And I apologize for the weak voice. I hope it isn't unpleasant to listen to. Um, we're very excited about our, our emerging markets exposure. Um, the Japanese exposure that we have actually added on a relative basis. Um, our small cap dividend growth orientation in Japan proved to be very effective. So I'm very pleased about that. We're going to continue doing what we're doing, asset allocation, tilt, tactically tilting, and and bottom-up company selection around dividend growth. It is not boring. It's fun. But we are in a crazy environment, and there's any number of risks and things out there. We do want you to reach out with questions you have. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. Uh, read DividendCafe.com this week. Subscribe to this podcast. Share it far and wide. Write positive reviews. And if you have negative things to say, then just turn off your computer and go away or your phone, whatever. Okay, just kidding. Great to be with you as always on Advice and Insights. This is David Bonson signing out. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. 
The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.